You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash crimes, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash crimes to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash crimes. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This series contains adult language and descriptions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome back to Death by Southwest, the podcast where each week I share a different grisly murder story unique to the American Southwest, while my sister and co-host tries to piece together the clues and unravel the mystery behind each of these heinous crimes. I'm your host, Margot, and Jenna is not with me because she did not do this episode with me, so I am doing this little intro by myself, and I just want to take you guys back. This is, we're about to go into part three, the final part of the Napa Valley Halloween murders. And there is no sense of place or kind of trivia or intro on this episode. And considering we just got, uh, I just saw a recent comment from someone that they used to love the show, but they are tired of the intros and wish we would just jump right into the crime. So uh, this is the perfect episode for that (laughs) commenter. Um, But I want to take you back to kind of where we left off last week with part two. And where we were last week is that 
the police had examined several different theories that somebody had an obsession with Leslie. They looked heavily into Christian Lee, Adrian's kind of on again, off again boyfriend. They even uh, looked into a handyman that had been at the house, the girl's house earlier that day. But none of that panned out to anything. They had just officially released Adrian and Leslie's identities to the public on November 2nd. And then on November 3rd, they had gotten some of the lab results back uh, on the DNA. And it was confirmed that the suspect, whoever it was, was definitely a man. They were hoping to get more information, but that would take some more time. And since the various love interests and close inner circle uh, of the girls had kind of resulted in nothing in terms of finding a suspect, the police then widened their investigation and were pursuing every possible theory from a satanic cult to a stalker to to anything. But they still came up empty-handed and had no suspects at this time. And that is where we will pick back up and continue this part three, the final chapter in the Napa Valley Halloween murders. Hope you guys enjoy it. And as always, thank you for listening. We appreciate and love all of you. Okay, let's get into it. Now we're, we're just barely a week out from the murder, so fine. But on Saturday, November 6th, police called a community meeting to give nappins you know that's what people who live in Napa are called? Nappins? Nappins? Yeah. They give Nappins an update on the... Are they event. sleepy people? <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, they drink all that fucking wine, you know that's what I mean? True. It's kind of nice outside. Just take a little nap in the sun after having some Merlot, you know? That's true. Fuck it. Uh, so they had a community meeting to give Nappins an update on the investigation. More than 500 residents, some who were curious, some who were angry, some who were scared, some who were worried, packed to the multi-purpose room at the Harvest Middle School. And one of the authorities said, quote, it's our belief that this was a direct, directed attack. There are very specific reasons we believe that. We aren't just trying to tell you something and try to make you feel good. We want to be as forthcoming as we can, but we don't want to do anything that will damage this case. We're working this case for a successful prosecution, which I feel like is like no shit. You didn't just, you told me nothing in that. You're trying to like have a successful case where you catch somebody and can prosecute them without releasing too much information that could fuck it up. No shit. Well, people are, you know, like, how come you haven't caught him yet? Are we safe? What's going on? Is it directly attacked us or is yeah, it going to happen again? True. You know? You ever so he's it? saying it's not a serial killer. This was a specific attack on these two women yeah. or one of the women, at least. So on Tuesday, November 9th, Adrian was buried. So this is a direct quote from the book that I read about this. It says, That evening, Adrian's two sisters, Lexi and Allison, and five friends climbed into a stretch limo to remember their friend. Along for the ride was Ben Katz, Christian Lee, Lily Prudhomme, Derek Santiago, and Lexi's husband, Rob. The ride went by in a blur of tears and emotions. They stopped at a bar or two in and around Santa Rosa, but mostly kept themselves inside the limo. As the limo dropped off Lily that night, she was inconsolable. Her and Adrian were like newer friends, but they had met through work at the sanitation place, I believe. Um, but they got really close really quickly. Uh, Lily said Adrian had an easy, enduring quality. She was funny and smart and quick-witted. She liked people and people liked her. 
Um, she also pointed out that Adrian was no pushover. She was easy to get along with. She could also be very difficult. She was a little bossy and she knew what she wanted. I thought this was funny. She said, if you ordered, if she, if you ordered food in a restaurant and they didn't bring it correctly, there was no combing over it. She wasn't going to say it's okay. I'll eat it. It's fine. She was sending it back. You ever see the movie waiting? Yeah, of course. Maybe it was a waiter. She was like a bitch there. And she was like, oh, you know, my steak isn't what I want. Oh, maybe. And then dun, 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 steak knife. Whoa. I don't know. It's probably not true. But. Well, I like all the fucking theories you're throwing out here. I mean, there's a lot going on. I'd look at everybody. So Lily was very upset. But there was a small silver lining for Lily in this. And that's that's that dealing with this tragedy had brought her and her ex-fiance, Eric, back together. Now, you remember Eric and Lily were together at the beginning of the story when um, they helped Adrian move into the house. But since then, they had broken up. And now, obviously, finding out about the, the sad death of their friend kind of together. brought them back together. Um, they had met in high school and been going on and out on and off for about eight years. And they had planned to get married on November 1st. 2004 which was essentially the day that it, I mean it was Halloween they were murdered but it was at like two o'clock in the morning so technically November 1st so they were planning to get married on that day the day after Halloween the day after Halloween but um, Lily called it off and they never did instead of can- uh, rice candy corn thrown maybe mm, I would love that I mean there'd be a lot left over <laughs> um, several days after this Tuesday November 9th Ninth was Adrian's funeral. Several days later was Leslie's funeral in um, Anderson, South Carolina. Over uh, 300 people showed up to Leslie's funeral. Do you think 300 people would show up to your funeral? Maybe. I guess maybe. What, why is it maybe? Well, I mean, I, <laughs> I would say for myself, like, no way. Like, there's, like, I don't know. Oh, you're very like, sweet. There's so many people. There's, I would have 300 people, in my, like, maybe 50 people. That's a lot. 300 is a lot of people. It I really know, is. I'm going to bring this up and it's like a thing, but you know, I'm obsessed with Band of Brothers, that HBO show about World War II. And in the end scene, they talk about all the guys who survived and like what they did after the war and all that stuff. But there's one guy, George Luz, who was like, you know, he kept everybody's spirits up. And what they said about him, they're like, this guy went on to work this and went that. But one of the things they're all to, to a testament to this guy's character. When he died in 1997, 1,500 people. And he was a handyman from Rhode Island. 1,500 people showed up to his funeral. And that's a true story. True story. Yeah, that's crazy. That's that's a well-liked human being. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think either of us would have even 300. Well, you know, my dad, when he passed away, it was very emotional. And my mom wanted to keep it small. kind of small. Yeah. But I believe my dad would have had... A lot more people. Hundreds of people. Yeah. He knew everybody, like the UPS driver. Like we, we were walking one day in a store and he was like, said hi to this guy. He's like, hey, what's up? He's all how the kids and everything. And I was like, all right. I was like, I've never seen that guy. And my dad's like, oh, yeah, he was a UPS driver who dropped off to my store when I worked at the store five years ago. <laughs> I'm like, all right. Yeah, your dad was that guy, though. He was the guy that was cared about everybody. We don't have to keep talking about him. Let's keep going. Okay. Okay. Um, On November 12th, the mayor of Napa, Ed Henderson, made an announcement revealing that the community had collectively raised $100,000 in reward money. So this was an incentive for anyone who could provide information um, to aid in the identification, arrest, and conviction of the 
person behind these double murders. $100,000 in 12 days. They, I mean, Napa's pretty rich, I guess. Yeah, but also people yeah. want this person caught because well, yeah, they don't want to... that's wanna, true. They don't want to go true. to bed at night knowing that there's a person out there, you know? That's true. Um, November 14th, there was a vigil for Adrian and Leslie that was organized by Lily um, and, and Leslie's friend, Ben. And Lauren was there, and she was just in shock still. She said, I don't... Quote, I don't understand how a person can do that and go on with his life. I've thought about that so many times. It's like he is still going on with his life right now without any of this affecting him. Maybe it has affected him. I don't know. But he's still functioning in society after doing something this horrendous. It's incomprehensible. Which, that's true. I mean, I, I, that gave me pause. Like this, He like brutally murdered two women and he's just out in the world. Well, I mean... We don't know what he's doing. He could be on, like, the run. Like, he freaked him out, and, like, he's traveling across the country. We don't know who this person is, you know? But, yeah, I can imagine, like, if it's a person in the community, it's like, oh, I'm just like, oh. Well, hey, I mean, Bob, how's I would imagine it going, you know? I mean, I would imagine if you murder two people in a small community, you want to get the fuck out of there immediately. Well, right? not unless you live there. You know, it'd be yeah, weird. That's like, that's to girl, why did off? Steve just leave? You know, he has a good job at the hardware store, but he just like up and left, you know? That's true. That's people, true. Two people just got killed. You got to keep it cool, you know? So as the investigation went on, police continued to collect DNA from any and all males who knew or interacted with Leslie and Adrian. Adrian. They had no official suspects, but they had a theory that Leslie was the intended victim again and that it was maybe an ex. They thought it had to do with some type of love interest or stalker. Um, and friends and family agreed. They, uh, One of the fam- Leslie's close friends, Amy Brown, said, I'm convinced of that. I think she's a target because she knows a lot of people. She was social. She went out. She met millions of new faces, and she ran into old faces. She's She was a target because of who she was. And she had, police discovered, many men in her life. Even some... Whoa. Even some that she that Leslie had met in her life that even she didn't know about. She had men who would buy her expensive presents. She had men who built websites about her. It was an ex-boyfriend who did that. Um, and she had someone who was sending her cash in the mail in unmarked envelopes. She didn't know who it was from, but she just continued to get cash in the mail. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Don't you think that's problematic, though? I mean, I think it's suspicious. I mean, I know you. You'd be like, "Woo, free cash!" I, yeah, I'd yeah. be, I'd be thrilled. Well, I think someone's gonna kill you. I'd be thrilled about it. Well, Leslie had confided in some of her close friends about the money, and she wasn't certain who was sending it, but she did have a suspicion, and this prompted the police to uncover the most, the biggest secret from Leslie's past that. Leslie didn't even know about until she was an adult. Don't miss what happens next in today's episode. We'll be right back after a short message from our sponsors. Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly, allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? 
Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Leslie had been getting money and it was a secret so buried in her life that she remained unaware of it until she was an adult. Can I speculate or no? Sure. Her father wasn't a real father. Okay. Anything else? That's it. That's okay. all I have. You're, you didn't nail it, but you're not 100% off. So at Hardy Correctional Institution in Bowling Green, Florida, a maximum security prison uh, about 100 miles east of Tampa um, is where Leslie's biological father, Lenny Mazzara, uh, was. And the story is pretty long, so I'm not going to, it's like a whole nother podcast to tell the story of her dad. But uh, basically the short version is that he worked for some dangerous and local gangsters. He was involved in drugs and he was hired to, to do a hit on a man who owed his boss money in 1980. Um, unfortunately, while he was taking care of this hit, uh, the man who he was killing, his girlfriend walked in as he was as Lenny was stabbing the man that he was hired to kill. And he ended up stabbing and slitting the girlfriend's throat as well. Whoa. So him and two other men were convicted of the murders and Lenny was sentenced to two consecutive life terms and received an additional 30 year sentence for conspiracy. So Leslie didn't know this her whole life. I don't know exactly how she found out, but she did as an adult and once she knew who he was, she wanted to get to know him. So first she started writing letters, then phone the calls. murder hitman? Yeah. And then... She's like, I wonder how sweet he was. Well, it was her dad. And so she wanted to get to know him. And so letters, phone calls, and then in-person visits. So not long after she was killed and Lenny found out, um, detectives showed up at the jail to talk to him. Um, he can't lawyer up, by the way. Right. And at first when I read that, I was like, well, like, obviously he didn't do it. And he committed this murder in 1980. We're in 2004, 24 years later. I'm thinking a revenge killing. Well, that's what they were thinking, too. And they also were suspicious because, and I think this is a really interesting point, there aren't too many contract killers, like contract hits, that are carried out with a stabbing. Yeah, it seems a little messy, you know? Right. Well, it's also like maybe it's personally ordered. It's like you need to fuck this person up, make a message, you know? I don't know, but that's not that's that's not common. And obviously that's a correlation between Leslie's murder, stabbing. Yeah. So that's police were curious about whether there was any way that Leslie's death was connected to her father's crime. They wanted to know if. They're Lenny. reaching at this point. Because they are trying to figure it out. Yeah. They wanted to know if Lenny had enemies, someone from his past that was seeking revenge. Lenny said, I thought this was completely stupid. This was over 20 years ago. But they did say to him, were you sending her money? And he explained that he was at one time, but not anymore. And they said, well, someone was sending her money. And uh, Lenny said, how much? And they said, a lot. And Lenny said, what's a lot? But they wouldn't tell him how much or what a lot of money was. And then they left soon after that. Obviously, we're going to get to how much money it was, huh? We'll see. 
As time went on, more and more men were eliminated based on their DNA, and police still had no leads. Families were frustrated. The residents of Napa were living in fear. And life in Napa was kind of dark and depressing since these murders. Yeah, there's a murder on the loose. Like, it's California. It's kind of liberal. Probably no one has a gun. Well, Todd Shulman, the detective, said, quote, this has robbed a lot of people of their sense of security they have. People are searching for a reason as to why this happened. I've talked to some longtime cops who have been here for 30 years, and they think this is the most violent crime they've ever seen here. It's a a once-in-a-career type thing in Napa. So in January 2005, Adrian's mom got some kind of good news amidst, you know, because Adrian's mom lived in Napa, and life was, like, pretty dark there at this point. Uh, So... January 2005 is a couple months after the murder. Um, Adrian's best friend, Lily, had gotten back together with Eric, and they were going to actually go through with the wedding that they had canceled now. Um, the murders had brought them closer, and Adrian's mom, that was the one good thing that she could, like she was trying to find some positivity in this, and she was like, well, I'm happy that Lily's happy. Lily said, Adrian's death made me reevaluate what's important in life and making sure that my friends and family know that I love them, and Eric and I both reevaluated We've been together almost eight years. It's time to get married. So Adrian's entire family was at Lily and Eric's wedding. And Lily dedicated um, a dance that she did to Adrian. It was Adrian's favorite song by Maroon 5 called She Will Be Loved. Um, And it was a happy day in Napa. A lot of, you know, in a small town, a lot of people were there. It was kind of a day of celebration. And even though it was Lily's wedding, they, they did a lot of remembering of Adrian. But... Even though Lily and Eric and many others were celebrating and dancing, the police were growing very frustrated. Yeah, two months without a suspect or even any leads. And that continued for nearly a year. Whoa. Over 11 months, there was 11 months of this manhunt. The police conducted over 1,300 interviews and collected 218 DNA samples. And the investigation took them across eight different states. And bupkis. And nothing. So the DNA had ruled out all of the men in both ladies' lives, that the, the men that they had taken DNA from. But now they had a new theory. They were thinking murder for hire. But most people weren't convinced that this was a viable answer. Uh, well, it's like, yeah, it's like, what do, well, what do because, they have to gain? Well, yeah, but they're thinking money. because... The DNA, they couldn't match the DNA to anybody in the girls' lives. So what if somebody in the girls' lives hired somebody else? Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but the D- Detective Schulman said, the violent nature of this crime, I just don't think that this that's what this is. And yeah, it seems like a little aggressive. like Personal. Yeah. Right. So by the end of the summer of 2005, the lab in Florida that um, had determined that the DNA was a male, had some additional results for the Napa police. They were able to get somewhat of the killer's ancestry. Um, the The killer was, according to them, 96% Northern European, 4% Southeastern European. Um, and the lab told the cops with 85% certainty, the killer had blue or green eyes. Okay. Kind of narrows it down. A, a little. little a little, little bit. I mean, it's... Some information. So they're European for sure. At this point now, police were really convinced for this entire time that the DNA was going to be the answer. But obviously it wasn't. So they now went back to the cigarettes. 
and the specific brand of cigarettes. What was the brand? Camel Turkish Gold. I used to smoke those. Yeah, they were, I guess, it, back in 2004, it was like not that popular of a brand. Like it was pretty, a pretty distinct brand. No, it was. Yeah. A pack of Turkish Golds. Yeah. You know? So police now are going to, they're like, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to go with this. And they started going from store to store, from gas station to gas station. Who buys these cigarettes? Who, do you, do you know anybody who buys these cigarettes regularly from you? Can we look at your, um, do you have any surveillance tape from several days before, several days after Halloween? So we could see maybe, is it somebody that we interviewed? Is it somebody, you know, whoever, um, the detective said the, the cigarettes were distinctive. It's a unique brand. It had only been on the market for 14 months at this point. Yeah, because I think I started smoking them in like, like 05 or something, you know? And it wasn't, and, and apparently in the beginning, they weren't sold in every gas station and convenience store. It was, they were specialized. Like only certain stores carried them. So that, to me, that's a... I remember they had like a... It's narrow. It was, narrows it down a lot. Yeah, and they had like a blue, like I said, I used to smoke them. I don't. I have no idea. I did not smoke them. I did. No. And I'm definitely not the killer. <laughs> Good to know. Um, so, but police really didn't get anywhere with asking the stores. So then they turned to Lauren, and they, you know, they had questioned her multiple times throughout this. They had ruled her out as the killer. It was a male DNA. It obviously wasn't her. She didn't hire anyone. She was cooperative the entire time. What about the murder for hire and the racket upstairs? Well, at this point, they they. She was not a suspect and she was still being cooperative and helping them. So they went to her. I mean, this is a year after this happened. Like this poor girl wants to move on. I'm sure not move on, but like leave it in the past a little bit. But they went to her and asked if she could think of anyone in her that she knew or that Adrian and Leslie hung out with that smoked cigarettes and those specific type of cigarettes. And at first, Lauren was like, no, I don't, I mean, I don't really know anybody that that smokes outside of like occasionally socially. Um, But then she had a kind of a subconscious memory and she was like, wait, I remember people smoking in the house at one point because somebody didn't like it. Um, And it came to her that Lily and her new husband, Eric, they had helped Adrian move into the house and both of them at the time had smoked. And the cops asked, do you remember what kind of cigarettes? She didn't. But those were really the only people she knew that were in their lives that That were smokers, smokers, like regular smokers. And so Lauren said, did you question both of them? Did you get DNA and rule at least Eric out? And the detective was like, yeah, I'm sure. Of course we did. And he went back into his database. Nope. They never took Eric's DNA. What? Somehow he had just slipped under the radar. Because he was so close and he was, he just, I don't know. Didn't make they sense. overlooked like, him. He was so close that they didn't look deeply into him. They probably talked to him very quickly, but then never went back and got his DNA, you know? Like probably talked to him almost immediately after the murders. Yeah. So on September 7th, Detective Schulman called Lily at Napa Sanitation District and asked for Eric's phone number. She said, Eric t- Eric's taken a new job at Brooks and Associates in Uniteville. And Eric was out in the field, as he often was, since he was in a, a surveyor. Um, so Detective Schulman left a message with the secretary asking Eric to give him a call. Two weeks went by before Schulman realized that he hadn't heard back from Eric. It was September 20th. He just realized? Like, I know. Like, I mean, okay. but in his defense, 
this this is there's a, a lot year, of shit going on right yeah. this was a year ago and he's also i'm sure not thinking this is oh randomly suddenly a year later we come across the guy like no but they do have to rule him out so september 22nd and they were getting ready to release the information to the public uh and they did on that day about the cigarettes um they said that they were hoping that this little piece of information would prompt someone in the public to come to come forward. Like, oh, I know someone who smokes Turkish golds or whatever. So five days. Do you think it's the newly married couple? Well, I know who it is. Oh, obviously. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> so five days after releasing this information to the public on September 27th, 2005, Commander Jeff Trondley, Trondley? I don't know, had concluded his work for the day. He walked across the street to a, to go work out at his gym, and then he was going to head home. But he went back into the office to do a few emails and got in his car. He's sitting in the police parking area and is about to pull out when another officer pulled up behind, uh, next to him and said, like, roll down your window. He's like, where are you going? And uh, Jeff said, home. And the officer said, you might want to rethink that. Some people just walked in, and one of them says that he killed Adrian and Sonia and Leslie Mazzara. And Jeff was like, shut up. And in no his way. head, he's thinking, oh, it's a, it's a, somebody who's like literally crazy, crazy in the yeah. head or somebody who wants to get attention. Um, and so the person that this other police officer was talking about that had walked in had willingly waived their legal rights and was providing a candid account of their actions to officer Ross Davis, a member of the gang unit. Um, Shulman and Trondley went into a adjacent room where they could watch this kind of going on. And what made it even more surprising was the identity of the person being interrogated was someone that none of them had ever suspected. It was a person who had entered the police station carrying a pack of camel Turkish golds. And they questioned this person for several hours and really, really wanted to find out what the motive was behind this. But they couldn't. He kept saying, uh, the detective kept saying, it doesn't add up. Something's missing. He's holding something back. So who was it? I'm asking you. Who do you the think The guy who smokes Turkish skulls. Eric. Yes. Lily's husband. I knew it from the beginning. Uh, so who is this Eric? Oh, he smokes Turkish skulls. He does. He was 26, clean c- criminal record, and he admitted that he took the lives of both Adrian and Leslie. He had dealt with depression and apparently thoughts of suicide for his whole life. He was a heavy drinker um, as kind of a coping mechanism. He was described as very shy, super quiet. Um, Can I say something? Mm-hmm. He's the son of the girlfriend that got killed accidentally during the hit. No, he's not. <laughs> no, I was reaching. <laughs> I was more no, he's the husband of Adrian's best friend. I know, but it doesn't mean he can't be the son of the, the girlfriend who got accidentally killed when her dad, biological father killed that person oh leslie wow your brain is going really deep here watch a lot of tv so 
the depression, the suicide. I mean, I hate to say that like that played a role in this because there are plenty of people in the world who are depressed or even who ha- are have been suicidal and they're not going out and murdering people. So yeah, it's kind of a step. Yeah, I, I really I don't agree with this, but that that was said in several articles that the police felt like his mental um, state and depression played a part in this, but they they still didn't understand it. They wanted a motive. Like why? Why would he randomly go kill? his wife's best friend and another random roommate that he yeah, didn't really know. I'm also thinking that right now. Yes. Um, but he wouldn't give much of an explanation. All he said is that he knew the women who were murdered and that he did it. He gave them information about the crime scene that was not released to the public and explained everything that happened. Plus the DNA was a match. Oh, we got him. It was him. He made it clear that he was not confessing out of a sense of guilt or remorse. He said the only reason he was confessing is because he knew they were eventually going to find him because of all the DNA testing. And he saw on the news that they uh, were looking for someone who found his cigarettes. Switch to Marlboro's, bro. Yeah. And they even did. Apparently, he had blue or green eyes. So they had his description correct as well. Um, So they. Did he have blue or green eyes? I don't know. (laughs) Probably blue. Green eyes are kind of rare, you know. Uh, Following an extensive search of his home, investigators. Uh, found a suicide note that Eric had written and the note revealed that he was very jealous of Lily's friendship with Adrian and he felt that Adrian was pulling Lily away from him and he even felt that Adrian was the reason Lily broke off their engagement in 2004 because Adrian apparently kept telling Lily you can do better like you can do better than Eric he's not the one for you I mean obviously he's going to be a killer (laughs) well I mean clearly Lily was right. <laughs> he was no not the shit. one for her. Um, but he believed that, you know, I, I I think that some of this is true, but I also think that probably some of this he's exacerbating in his brain. Well, he's obviously crazy because he right. married two people. Um, so he did say that he, he hadn't intended to kill anyone. He said he had been at a party earlier that night where him and Lily, they were not married at this point. Remember they had broken yeah. up. Um, had kind of had an argument, an encounter, and his temper escalated. And he, like, that night was thinking, Adrian is for sure the reason that we broke up. Lily said something that made him really feel that way that night. And he had been heavily drinking. And so in his mind, he was like, I'm going to go talk to Adrian and, like, let her know that, like, I am good enough for Lily and I should be with Lily. And he remembered entering the house by breaking in the kitchen window, which... Like, if you're going there with to talk to her without intent of harming anybody, why are you breaking in? You know, I mean, either way, uh, it's not a good way to start a he said that conversation. After that, he remembers nothing. He experienced a blackout, and hours later regained consciousness without any recollection of the events that transpired. But okay. investigate. I mean, investigators were like, okay, first of all, that feels far fetched, but. After he left, he burned all of his clothes and shoes that same night. So that told them, like, no, he knows what he did was wrong. Like, he knew, obviously. And they think that he didn't confirm this, but police now believe that he entered Leslie's room first by mistake. And his and hers was a murder of opportunity. That's what they called it. He killed her first to get her out of the way so he could get to his real target, Adrian. That makes sense. So he was charged with a double murder and he pleaded guilty on both charges. 
And in January 2007, an agreement was reached that Koppel would be sent to prison for the rest of his life without the possibility of parole in exchange for not getting the death penalty. He also waived his right to ever appeal. This was shocking to me. As he was, this, he was receiving his sentence and he was going to be jailed, his wife Lily said, in the days before he confessed, I knew something was terribly bothering him. I told him, Eric, there is nothing in this world that you could do to make me love you less. Those words are just as true today as they were that afternoon. Jesus. I mean, I'm sorry. If you murdered my best friend and somebody else, I would love yeah. you less. Yeah, well, or not at all. Yeah, I think you <laughs> lose the love. I you mean, know? I, I don't. under. I would be so curious to hear from any of our listeners, like their opinion on that. Like, I guess your love can't disappear if you're with somebody for eight years and you're married. It can't disappear instantly. But like... I am not professing my undying love to you as you're being sent to prison for murder. That's of crazy. Your friend. Right, of and, my best friend. And also killed her for she thought you know, for a ridiculous break, reason. Yeah, ridiculous reason. I mean reason. there's never a good reason to murder, she but murdered like murdered a second person. Like yeah. he murdered a second person. Yeah. Like, it's like pretty intense, like stabbing him to death. He also spoke in court and he said, I am a broken man, a man splintered by a penetrating awareness of my own potential for wickedness. While I cannot fathom the full extent of the anguish that I have caused, I recognize that my sinful deeds have inflicted terrific agony on a number of people. The words evade me to articulate the depths of my sorrow. He's a good speaker. Uh, he is incarcerated today at the Pleasant Valley State Prison in Colinga, California. and um, He will be there for the rest of his life. And Lily, who publicly defended her love for him on the stand, uh, still lives in the same exact neighborhood where and, the murders happened in and Napa. And people don't have a problem with her? I would imagine I they it, probably do. Well, there's old Lily, killer now, here's, lover. Now here's another question for you. She went a full, she went a full year living with him, married to him, got married to him actually. Like Adrian's mother spoke at their wedding, spoke at his wedding and Lily never knew. She never had any, if you murdered two people and you weren't caught for a year and we're married and living together and spending as much time as we spend together now, don't you think I would have some inkling of something that something was off? You think that you can hide it that well? Well, I think that you think about like Jeffrey Dahmer. He's like a sociopath, psychopath, whatever, like we've talked about before. Yeah. Like he doesn't really think he did anything wrong. It doesn't really affect him. So it's probably the same kind of person. Like you just live your life because it's not really affecting you. It, it's That's the same true. kind of a manner of a hitman is a sociopath, psychopath, but they're like doing it for a job. Yeah. It's That's still it's still crazy. You're still murdering people, but also it's not personal. Well, I understand. Oh, so you're saying he would have given no signs like he could have. He just well, yeah, he according just, to him, he didn't remember doing it. So he was just living life like, I yeah, don't know what happened. He was like, well, well, he obviously I don't burned believe. his shoes and yeah, shit. Yeah. You know? I know. He, I don't believe he, that. He understands it. That's what I'm saying. What I'm trying to think is after going through that and everything. Can you imagine no though? leads, like, whatever. Think about it. He was at the vigil. Adrian's, you know what's a big fuck up I more think more than anything? How the fuck did you not get that guy's DNA? You I, mean, I mean, but he's like directly related to the case. But I think that's why, because he was so closely related that they just 
They spoke to him probably immediately after because they spoke to all the people closest to them. And at that point, they weren't collecting DNA. The next day after the murder, they weren't collecting DNA at that point. They then went back. You know what I mean? And then they're trying to find it. Right. So they probably just forgot to go back to him. But it's kind of a fuck up. It's a big oversight for sure. And it just blows my mind that like he spent a year mourning the people that he killed. And also, like, the, the wedding everything. like The wedding, sh- the vigil. Showing the, no emotion during that. That's oh a heavy thing. Like, obviously, he's like a her fucking mom, insane person. Right. His, her mom is speaking. They dedicated a song and a dance to Adrian. He's all, yeah. And he's, he killed her. I he's mean. He's obviously a deranged. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. So, is that what you expected? I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, good. Yeah, that's it's funny, though, is the exchange, like, in that. You know, like, it does make sense with his sentencing. That person doesn't give a shit whether he's in prison or wherever he's at. He's all for exchange for no death penalty because he yeah. wants to live. He doesn't care where he lives. Yeah, I don't know. I'd be what, like, fuck no, kill him. But yeah. what I think, I don't know what it was in, in exchange for, I, I guess, pleading guilty. Pleading guilty and not yeah, having, like, a big drawn-out yeah, trial. Saves, yeah, You know what I mean? It saves like, money. It saves trauma for the such, family. It's such bullshit that, you know, saving money, like, allows someone to live their life. I know he's, like, in a supermax prison, but those... He's still that, alive. But that kind of person, mm-hmm. it doesn't... It doesn't... They, they, they wouldn't... We talked about this the other night. They it wouldn't be in prison like we would be in prison. Like, you'd be ruined. You'd be like, oh, my dogs. I don't have, like, my life. Yeah, I came out here. I'd much rather die. You're also not kind of a person that can just, like, slaughter two people and be like, oh... No, but I'll I would, get married to her friend tomorrow. Right. I, now, I will say this. I agree. I could, if I was in a supermax prison, I would be destroyed. Like, I, 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 I don't know how I could ever survive that. For the rest of my life, I wouldn't, I couldn't survive that. I would just want to die every single day. But I also think that that's what I say now. But people are absurdly resilient and they make. You, you could live with anything. You can learn to live with just well, about anything. So somebody who's in a supermax prison is going to make a life for themselves in there that is shitty, I'm sure, and terrible, but it is a life. It is livable. Like there are certain things that he looks forward to or, uh, you know, work that he does or working out. or You know, there are certain things that he still does that he finds some, he has to find some type of joy from. So well, that I mean, is some type of life. Like in a supermax prison, like they don't. There's no working like, out. You're not like going out to the yard because you're super dangerous. So is everybody else. Like you're oh, really? in your cell all the time. All the time? Yeah. They like bring a shower. It rolls and they like open the door. You get in and get out. You send all your time. Oh. And when you go out to like a yard or something like that there. You're, you're gated like, in by yourself. Yeah. By yeah. yourself. And you're like in a small space. And you walk around. There's like some sun hitting you. you oh, know? It it's makes not, me sick to myself. It's not like you're like socializing with other people. It's very intense like that. Oh, that makes me that like makes me uncomfortable but also like we don't know maybe that guy's living in hell because he thought oh well i'll it's i watched a bunch of shows with prison and like you know i go in the yard and like get in the group of people that's what i just thought yeah well that's not true well that sounds awful that's worse than death to me yeah it would be for me too yeah but for him i get what you're saying he's he's his brain is so kind of sideways that he it doesn't affect him in that way and we don't know about that like whether he got drunk or not, broke into the house, killed one person, killed the other person, and then let 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 everyone, and then marry her friend, right? And then <laughs> let, let everyone search and be traumatized for a year. Yeah, I it's think terrible. the biggest to this story. No offense to the detectives or anything. I'm sure it's a hard job, but yeah, they collected big, everybody's DNA. It was an oversight. It was. That's weird. That's an interesting part of this entire story, is that 
I used to smoke those cigarettes. I loved them. Camels. <laughs> that is yeah. not the most interesting part of this entire story. To me, it is because you're all <laughs> a particular pack of cigarettes. I was like, it's some Russian brand or some shit like that. And you're all, you're all camel Turkish golds. Have you ever heard of them? And I'm like, I wish I had one right now. I think they're discontinued. You know. Oh God. All right. Well, that is uh, that is our story. Thank you guys for listening. We will be back with a bonus and a new episode and whatnot up until we leave for Belize. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of look up on this one. There's a lot of look up on this one. Definitely. I'm excited Great to do story, that. Great story, though. I really enjoyed it. Good. I'm glad. I hope everyone else enjoyed it. And um, and that's it. Please go. We really appreciate everyone who leaves us reviews on Apple. Love getting your DMs. I am still working my way through all of the DMs, but I love hearing from everyone. Join our Patreon and... What does Jenna say? On the bonus episode, she says, hug your loved ones. And on these, she says, good night and good luck. Pet your animals. (laughs) That's a good one, too. Thanks for listening. Bye, guys. Later. Death by Southwest is hosted by Jenna Schneider and Margot Carmichael. Executive produced by Margot Carmichael. Produced by Jenna Schneider. Audio editing and sound design by Margot Carmichael music by Soundstripe. And a special thanks to Edward R. Murrow for letting us borrow his famous sign-off phrase, good night and good luck.